This is Mark Halleck, and welcome to the Leading Church Revitalization Podcast. This podcast is designed to encourage and equip you for the work of leading church revitalization in your context. I really hope and pray you will be helped and you'll be encouraged and you might even be a little bit inspired in our time together. Because here's the truth, there's a lot of churches people have given up on that God is just not done with. So thanks for coming by and let's link arms together to replant and revitalize churches for the glory of God and for our joy in Him. Today we're going to continue what we started last week. We're talking about some of the practical ways to lead with love in church revitalization. And we looked at six of these last week. Let's pick things up with number seven, which is this, cultivating trust. Cultivating trust with people is absolutely crucial. I cannot emphasize enough to church revitalizers the importance of cultivating trust with people. To be blunt, the failure to win the hearts and to earn the trust of those in a dying congregation is consistently the number one failure I observe on the part of those who struggle to lead a church back to health and vibrancy. If you can't cultivate trust with the congregation you are shepherding, they won't follow your leadership. And if they won't follow your leadership, this church will not experience turnaround. As hard as this is to hear, it is true. Cultivating trust is massively important as a revitalizer. The leadership you hope to exercise in a congregation absolutely hinges on this. Now, there's an equation I use often for pastors when talking about building trust with those in our churches. What does it look like? How do we build trust? Well, here's the equation. Consistency plus time plus grace and truth equals a culture of trust. Let me say that again. Consistency plus time plus grace and truth equals or leads to a culture of trust. Now let's consider each of these different components needed to cultivate trust in church revitalization. Number one is consistency. Consistency in ministry means that we are predictably present. I've heard it said that 95% of ministry is just showing up, and that's really true. This reality should be encouraging on weeks when we don't feel great about anything we are doing In ministry, simply being consistent is huge. Showing up, being faithful, not flaky, being predictably present. Sadly, countless declining churches have not had the privilege of having a faithfully consistent pastor in a very long time, if ever. Many of these congregations have grown quite accustomed to inconsistency in their shepherds. You and I must change this. Consistent, predictable presence helps cultivate the kind of trust that is desperately needed when seeking to win the hearts of those in a hurting and declining church. Number two is time. We like to think that our time is our own, but in reality, it is God's. Our time has been gifted to us by the Lord to be used and stewarded according to His will and His desires. This is a good thing. 
In church revitalization, it means a recognition that a great deal of our time is to be spent with people, hanging out with people, grabbing coffee with people, having people over for dinner, investing time in those under our care is critical for the cultivation of trust that is needed for growth to happen. And then number three, grace and truth. Consistent grace and truth over time is critical to building trust and unity in any local church. On the one hand, we cannot build trust with people without speaking the truth. Sure, we can be consistent and sacrifice a lot of time, but if we never speak the truth, people will wonder if we love them enough to actually correct them and point them in the direction God wants them to go. On the other hand, if we don't have grace, then our people won't want to be around us. They won't feel safe with us. We may be consistent, give them time, and speak truth. But if we're not gentle and gracious, we will be perceived as unapproachable. Both grace and truth must be present in our preaching, in our counseling, in our visitation, in our evangelism, and in every area of our leadership. Listen, building a culture marked by genuine love and trust is vital to the health and growth of a struggling congregation, but it takes these things, consistency plus time plus grace and truth. Over time, the Lord uses these three, three ingredients to build and create a culture of trust. Number eight, forgiving those who hurt you. There's no way around it. As a revitalization pastor, as a replanner, we are going to be wounded by those we love, by those in whom we have invested much time and energy. It's part of the territory of serving people, not a fun part, but a very real part nonetheless. For this reason, we must be prepared to forgive others as difficult as it may be. Over and over again, we must be prepared to forgive those who wound us. Jesus made this clear in Matthew 18, 21 to 22, when Peter comes up to him and asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Loving leaders seek to forgive others in their congregation time and again by the grace and power of God. Now, it's important to remember that many declining churches have within them hurting people. They are hurting for any number of reasons, but one thing is sure, hurting people often hurt people. And many times pastors are the easiest targets when people feel the need to wound another. This is why we must be prepared both emotionally and spiritually for the hurtful words and actions that will be headed our way. More than that, we must be prepared to forgive. There isn't a more powerful picture that we can show in absorbing both undeserved and deserved shots of complaint and criticism from congregants than in displaying the love of Jesus and extending forgiveness to those who have hurt us. Because the Son of God Himself has forgiven us far beyond anything we ourselves will ever have to forgive, may we take to heart and put into practice the words of Paul when he writes in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Number nine demonstrating gentleness. What comes to mind when you think of a gentle pastor? Gentleness is not only a biblical qualification for those serving as pastors in the local church, see 1 Timothy 3.3, 3, 
but it is one of the most critical characteristics for effective pastoral leadership in a struggling church in need of change. Paul addresses the importance of pastoral gentleness when he writes in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Look at that last sentence again. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. As mentioned before, we're going to have critics. We're going to have opponents in church revitalization. The question is, how do we respond to them? While there will be times when it's appropriate to simply sit and say nothing, there will be other times when we must gently yet firmly confront people with the truth. There will be times when the most loving thing we can do is correct individuals by helping them to see their selfishness, their pride, their wrong in a situation. However, we must do this with gentleness and pray that the Lord would lead them to repentance. Kevin Fitzgerald nails it when he writes, It is a big deal to God who takes care of his people. Imagine the immense price paid to purchase us, the price of divine blood. God does not want them roughed up. He doesn't want us to drive the sheep, to neglect them, or be bullying them. Remember when your children were little? You were very careful about who you got to babysit them. Think of the shepherd out in the field with the sheep and a rod in his hand. That rod is for the wolf or the bear, never for the sheep. The shepherd leads the sheep out gently. How dare we as shepherds, as pastors, use the rod to beat up the sheep? We should only use the rod to protect the sheep as we fight off the wolves and the bears. We're called to shepherd God's sheep with gentleness. How gentle are you? Number 10, valuing God's process of growing people. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we read, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Listen, we are all in process, every one of us. Theologically speaking, we know that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us as believers, but our sanctification is a progressive process. In other words, our sanctification and holiness is growth that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Thankfully, the Lord is patiently working in us, conforming us to the image of Christ for God's glory and our joy in Him. It seems only appropriate then that if the Lord is patiently working in us, we must lovingly seek to be patient with other brothers and sisters, knowing that the Lord is at work in them as well. They are works in progress just as we are. According to 1 Thessalonians 5, not only do we need to be patient with the idle, the faint-hearted, and the weak, but we also need to be patient with the strong-willed, the arrogant, and the prideful. This can be a difficult task. As much as we would like to change people and change them quickly, quite frankly, this is not our job. Our job is to pray. Our job is to love. Our job is to speak the truth with grace and gentleness and to care for and shepherd the flock while trusting that the Lord is working in them just as he is in us. Patience is key in all of this. If you struggle with patience, cry out to the Lord and ask him to grow you in this, to give you a heart of patience toward others that reflects the heart of Christ 
toward us. He has the power to make you a loving, patient pastor. Number 11, avoiding rudeness. In our culture, we don't often talk about being rude anymore. In fact, being rude is often viewed in our culture as simply good fun. It's comical. Rude people make us laugh. However, Scripture has a different view of rudeness. In 1 Corinthians 13, we read that love is not rude. This means that loving leadership in the church is not marked by rudeness. Sadly, rudeness can easily bleed over into the leadership of many pastors in ways in which they are not even aware, or perhaps they are aware, but they've become desensitized to it. Let's consider several ways rudeness can rear its ugly head in our leadership if we are not careful. Let me offer four kinds of rudeness we need to avoid. Here's number one, inconsiderate talk. Our words have power. What we say can oftentimes bring harm to people in lasting ways that we cannot even imagine. We can wound people very deeply with inconsiderate talk. Many times we may not even realize that we have struck a nerve because of a person's history or their personal convictions. This is another instance in which knowing our people well comes into play. However, inconsiderate talk also includes the more obvious like telling jokes that are inappropriate and talking about subjects that are not beneficial or helpful or edifying for others around us. How easily do you fall into this? May we take to heart Paul's exhortation to the Ephesians, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4, 29 and 30. Here's number two, disregard for other people's time or moral conscience. This is a biggie. Loving leaders are respectful of other people's time and other people's moral conscience. Let's talk about time for a second. If we tend to be people who are consistently late, we should ask God to help us become more punctual, even early for the sake of others. It's understandable that we are all going to be late from time to time, but make sure you don't gain the reputation of being the late guy, especially if you're a pastor. Simply put, it's rude. It isn't considerate of others. And the reality is that sharp, committed lay leaders who have a busy life and a tight schedule will not have a lot of patience for this over time. Moreover, loving leaders sacrifice their own rights for the sake of meeting other spiritual needs and moral conscience. Here's what I mean by moral conscience. We need to know that there are those in your congregation who will struggle with or be convicted of certain areas of sin in which you perhaps don't struggle or you don't feel conviction. When this is the case, it is always rude. It's immature and it's unloving to poke fun or to be insensitive to them in this. Honoring the moral conscience of others should be a top priority and practice of genuinely loving Christ-like leaders. Number three, taking advantage of people. One thing you will see in virtually every declining church is a group of steady, faithful volunteers and leaders who are always going to show up and serve, no matter what. Whenever there is a need in the church, these are the folks who show up every time. They've probably been keeping this church afloat for years. Here's the thing with this group of individuals. Over time, if we as pastors are not loving them and encouraging them and caring for them and giving them breaks, they will burn out. 
Sadly, sometimes it is toward our best people that we show the least amount of intentional love. We take them for granted. We need to be mindful of this always. The last thing we want to slip into is unintentional taking advantage of servants like these. Number four, finally, the fourth type of rudeness we want to avoid in our leadership is ignoring the contributions of others. We cannot afford to ignore the contributions of other people. We must regularly and consistently take the time to encourage people for all that they do. If we fail to do so, over time, those in our congregation will feel unappreciated and they will grow discouraged. More than that, often they will eventually stop serving altogether. Paul understood this well. In fact, time and again in his letters, we see him encouraging the saints to whom he was writing. For example, to the believers in Corinth, he writes, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is from 1 Corinthians 1, 4-9. You see, Paul knew that he needed to build up the people in this church who were tired and needed rest, yet were faithful to carry on the work of Christ. It's important to thank people and encourage others regularly for their hard work. We want to help our people experience the joy of the Lord and the joy of serving Him. Let us never ignore the wonderful, gracious contributions of others in kingdom ministry. All four of these areas of rudeness are evidences of a lack of love. There's no place for these in the local church and certainly not in the lives of those leading struggling, declining congregations. Let us ask the Lord to help us identify where we are falling short in these four areas and then work hard to grow in each of them by the power of his spirit, by the power of the word of God that is at work within us. Number 12, insisting not on your own way. The wise pastor understands very well that the church he has been called to shepherd is not his church. It is the Lord's. Because of this, the wise pastor understands that he is there to lead this congregation, not with a posture of power and intimidation over others, but instead with a posture of humility, service, and love. One implication of this is that the wise pastor will not insist on his own way. Demanding one's own way is not loving leadership. Let me say that again. Demanding one's own way is not loving leadership. In fact, Jesus says that for the Christian, our mindset should be the opposite. In Luke 6.31, Jesus teaches, as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Instead of insisting on your own way, seek to be in tune with the needs of those whom you are serving, treating them as you yourself would want to be treated. Refusing to insist on your own way is at the heart of loving leadership. It's such a simple concept, but it's so radical and countercultural. It is a mark of leadership in the upside-down kingdom of God. It is the kind of leadership that identifies a follower of Jesus who seeks to abide in him and his spirit daily. Finally, number 13, persevering through seasons that are tough in ministry. Loving God's people is not always a pleasant experience. It is not always easy. 
In fact, there will be really tough seasons in which we will want to give up and throw in the towel. We will be tempted to take a position at another church where maybe we won't have to deal with a lot of the tough stuff that comes with church revitalization. Or so we think. The truth is, greener grass is typically a mirage in both life and ministry. When we choose to leave for the greener pastures of what appears to be a healthier congregation, we quickly realize there are a whole new set of challenges to face. Part of loving people well in a local church context is being committed for the long haul. It is saying to a congregation, by God's grace, I am going to be with you through thick and thin. By the power of the Spirit, my desire is to persevere through both the good times and the tough times that lie ahead. This kind of pastoral perseverance is loving leadership in action, but it is tough work. In fact, while many pastors start off with the hope and even desire of persevering over the long haul, the reality is that few actually do it. Consider carefully the following sobering statistics. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month in North America. Over 50% of pastors would leave the ministry if they could find another way to support their families. Over 50% of pastors' wives feel that their husbands entering the ministry was the most destructive thing that ever happened to their families. 71% of pastors stated that they were burnt out and they battled depression beyond fatigue on a weekly or daily basis. Only one out of 10 pastors will retire as a pastor. Now you can hear these stats like I do and man, it breaks your heart. It can be really discouraging. The reality is that pastoral ministry is hard. Church revitalization is really hard. We have to count the cost. If we don't humbly and honestly consider the challenges we are stepping into, we are setting ourselves up not only for a huge disappointment, but also a lot of pain. I find it both helpful and hopeful to think of biblical leaders like Moses and David and how they persevered through tough seasons of ministry. While still sinners, by the grace of God, these were two of the godliest men and leaders in the scriptures. I'm constantly amazed by how they invested their entire lives into people who often turned their backs on them. People who grumbled and criticized and rebelled against their leadership, even though God himself had called them and appointed them to these positions of oversight. If this was the experience of men like Moses and David, we shouldn't be surprised if this is our experience too. But the good news is this, the Lord is with us through it all. And if the Lord has called us to this position in this church, he will empower us to do the work he has called us to do. What better way is there to display the love and faithfulness of Christ to a hurting, declining congregation than to persevere even through the darkest of times? When we persevere, we show that our ultimate hope and strength in life and ministry is Christ. Let me close with these final thoughts on the power of loving leadership. I've heard it said that the local church is to be a kind of display window for Christ's life-changing, otherworldly, supernatural love. As the love of Christ flows into the hearts and minds of his people and then out into the world, God is glorified and the kingdom advances. As Paul Bilheimer writes, the local church, therefore, may be viewed as a spiritual workshop for the development of agape love. Thus, the stresses and strains of a spiritual fellowship offer the ideal situation for the testing and maturing of love. 
The local congregation is one of the very best laboratories in which individual believers may discover their real spiritual emptiness and begin to grow in agape love, unconditional love that flows from the heart of our Heavenly Father. I love this picture of the local church. It's a laboratory in which God's people grow in love with and for and toward one another. In order for our churches to become these types of laboratories of love, they must have the example of our loving leadership as pastors, as church revitalizers. May the Lord fill us with his love to overflowing that it might spill out into the lives of the men and the women, the boys and girls that we have been graciously called to shepherd with the love of Christ. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast today. Hey, as you continue to grow, I want to point you in the direction of a book called Leading Church Revitalization. This entire podcast is really built on and based on that book. You can pick it up at amazon.com today. Also, check out acomapress.org. Acoma Press is committed to putting out resources to help encourage and equip you as a revitalizer or a replanter. It's also very committed to help equip congregations that are struggling and facing serious decline. And one last thing, I would love to stay in touch with you. So let's connect on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Any way I can serve you, I would love to do that. Man, I can't wait till we're together next time. Thanks so much for stopping by. God bless you all.